Board Games follows the entrepreneur Marcus Dreer and his determination to accomplish his goals by any means necessary, even if it plummets him down a deadly hole of no return. For all of my book lovers out there, Board Games is a simmering drama that boils into a gripping conclusion. And you can find Board Games 1 and 2 now on Amazon. And it's written by yours truly, so you won't be disappointed. You're now tuned into the Sociology Podcast, the exploration of the Shiverse, which encompasses Chicago culture, politics, history, experiences, legends, and stories from the hearts and minds of Chicagoans themselves. This is Sociology episode 47. In this episode, we're talking with Jamal Cole. Jamal came from humble beginnings, and one can argue those humble beginnings is the reason why he remains humble to this day. Not humble in a negative connotation or a timid way, but humble in a way that elevates others, that gives others new perspective, that serves everyone around him in the city of Chicago. Jamal is going to talk about those humble beginnings. He's going to talk about what led him to start the organization My Block, My Hood, My City, and his recent declaration to run for Congress. So without further ado, let's get right into it. So, yeah. Um, so tell us, Jamal, like, what was it like growing up? Yeah, I'm from Waukegan, man. It's like 45 minutes away from here. Well, Southside. Right, right, right. right. And, um, what was it like? I mean, what was it like as a tall building where I'm from is a jail, like the county jail. And so, you know, at nighttime, you know, when we go get hamburgers at the spot called Jordy's or Hillary's, we look up and watch people playing basketball at the top, you know, and um, all of my role models went to jail. Like, so, you know, when my sister, she graduated high school from jail. So, you know, my brother went to jail. My role model was doing 80 years in jail. My other person in my household was doing 40 years in jail. So mm. I, what was it like was that, you know, very isolated, but also very narrow-minded. Like, that's how we were. Um, in Waukegan, there's no CPA. So there's no, but it's, it's not like Chicago where there's so much more, you know, museums and resources. It's very, it's very uh, isolated. And, you know, isolation leads to that narrow-mindedness. Yeah. which we had so um it's kind of country in a way in that kind of way in chicago there's like 30 people at the gas stations that's unheard of in Milwaukee. you know what i mean so yeah yeah also so i would just say that it was um you know we have we we're in poverty of not only money but poverty of imagination you know a deficit of hope is what we had because we never i never saw a college graduate until i was 17 or not a black one at least and mm-hmm. so uh, it was for me man it was uh, um you know i grew up uh, in a i grew up where my mother was sending she would give me a food stamp, my brother a food stamp, and my sister a food stamp and say, go to the corner store and bring me back, you know, a $2.70 change so I can buy bleach because you couldn't, you know, you couldn't use food stamps for basic toiletries. Right. So I grew up breaking into houses early on. I mean, I started breaking into houses at nine. You know what I mean? I, I, the first time I ever had lasagna was when I broke into a house. And when I tasted wow. it, I was like, oh, this, this is what it tastes like to be rich. Yeah. You know, I would... I got caught stealing at 10 years old and my dad was proud of me. He's like, you're going to be a president one day. Cause I stole some school supplies. I stole a trapper keeper and a protractor. And he was like, man, my dad, he was proud of the police station when he picked me up. So I, you know, I grew up breaking into houses, eating to eat cereal. Like this is how I grew up. So I, I when I think about, um, you know, just, just being so embarrassed that I was so embarrassed that I had to eat at the homeless shelter all the time. Cause my, classmates in grade school would be volunteering or middle school would be volunteering. They had the clear gloves. It doesn't embarrass him. But my dad would say, hold your head up high when you go eat that food. You know, so I, growing up to me was a great adventure because, you know, I mean, when you have to sleep outside and you're homeless and you sleep in the motels and 
you're eating little Debbie snacks for dinner and looking for loose change and spending time in movie theaters all day because that's what you do to kill time. Yeah. You can watch three movies in the same day. I mean, so when I, I have a story to tell about how I grew up, bro. It was just that yeah. every day was like, whew, it was yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like a bad, because like, you know, first of all, let's just say, you know, this is in a time where link cards didn't exist. So when you talk about food stamps, yeah. you, you talk about literal stamps, you know what I'm saying? I remember those, like yeah. when they look like yeah. dollar bills, you know, um, all of that. Yep. And, <laughs> yep. and, you know, um, you know, so it wasn't no link card going on, wasn't no pin numbers, none of that. And, you know, um, I, I can, you know, I, I don't want to say I understand your story because I didn't live your story, but I can, I have a similar perspective because uh, me and my mom, we moved around a lot um, when I was growing up. I was the only child. I didn't have any siblings. Um, and I definitely know what it's like to have, um, to, to be homeless. You, you feel me? Um, to have to, you know, uh, you can't afford to go to the grocery store. So you got to go to the, um, the shelters to get food, the pantries. You know, um, I, I can I can understand that perspective. So it, it sounds like, you know, it's like the typical story, right? You know, everybody's story is different, but the narrative is the same. It's like out of desperation, you do things that you shouldn't be doing. You know, um, the, the first time you yeah. taste lasagna was when you did something you wasn't supposed to be doing. Yeah, you know, true. Um, yeah, like how, how does that like, I mean, I, I feel like it's an obvious um, answer, but you know, I still got to ask, like, tell us how that, how did that motivate you when you was growing up in Waukegan and, you know, you seeing your family in this state, you seeing other people who look like you in the state, you said that you didn't see a black college graduate to 17. What motivated you to say, you know what, this ain't life. This ain't how life should be. And this is how I want my life to be. I had, I had a great, great parents. They were, they were crazy in their own right, but they were great parents. My dad, you know, he, even though he was, a, um, you know, he, he put me through a lot, you know, and that he apologized for a lot today. But it was, uh, I didn't, I saw my dad wear a suit and tie every day. Even though we were going to the homeless shelter, even though we live in a motel, even though fiends are knocking on the door at night, he always had a typewriter and was like, this next book gonna get me kicked out the country, son. You know, I, I had one of them dads where if I broke into a house, I can go show him what I stole. Let me show you what I stole. And he would get mad at me, not for stealing the stuff, but if I did it with people. Like, you should never do stuff with people because they're gonna tell them. You know what I mean? I had a dad that was my best friend through it all. But my dad always told me, you're gonna be a senator one day. Like, this is what, you don't need to be stealing. You don't need to be doing drugs because you, you, you know, you, you're going to be one of the best people in the world. My dad played the movie Malcolm X so many times, I thought Denzel Washington was Malcolm X. Mm. But you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I watched Malcolm, like, people was watching Aladdin, I was watching Malcolm X. I was listening to, you know, Booker, I was listening to Robert Kennedy, you know what I mean? I was reading about Booker T. Washington, and I was reading, you know, um, just, just the fire next time, you know what I mean? I, I was just, I just had a different type of dad that really was, he ran for Alderman when I was like 11, you know what I mean? So, yeah. It didn't work out for him, but at the same time, that's what's made my dad always allowed me to dream bigger than my surroundings. He made he he and he believed in me more than he believed in anything. And I didn't believe in myself, but he believed that I was going to the NBA or I was gonna do whatever I wanted to do. So it was that it was that unwavering belief in, that my dad had in me that that really made me just know I could like that know I was gonna go to college, even though I was I knew I was gonna be where I was at today because my dad just Straight up believing me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, that's just huge. Like, that's a huge, like, even in the midst of despair and chaos, you know, you had that love from your parents. And, you know, I think that's yeah. why, you know, people need to understand that that's so crucial. 
your parents yeah. have to, it's so crucial that your parents love you. Like, think about it. You know, y'all going through everything that y'all going through, but your dad still believed in you. You know, your dad still um, poured into you. You know what I'm saying? Your dad still, you know, taught you ways on how to navigate the streets, you know, um, to avoid, you know, even worse consequences than, you know, um, the ones that caught up with you. So, you know, as you grew older, when did you make your way to Chicago? Um, tell us about, you know, like your college years and, you know, things like that. As far as how I got to Chicago, well, my mom's from the west side of Chicago. So, uh, um, you know, her uh, her nickname is Glow. Yeah, my mom's my mom's from the west. Every, everybody's from the west side of Chicago. I mean, everybody's from Mississippi and the name moved to Chicago, right? So and my dad's from Fort Worth, Texas. So my whole family lives on the west side of Chicago. I'm just, my mom moved when she was 25 years old to Waukegan. So she could, she's having kids and she wanted us to be safer, but you know, that's the misconception about moving to a dilapidated area. But the point is that um, that's where we moved to. So she raised us in Waukegan, but she, so, so when I graduated college, you know, um, Waukegan, all, I, mean, I always want, I always dreamed bigger than that area. I always knew I was bigger, going to be bigger than that area. So, cause I wanted to, I wanted to be like Malcolm X and selling books on the corner and I wanted to, to help people. And so where are the people? They are on the street corner of Michigan Avenue. So I started writing motivational books and standing in front of Foot Locker, like Malcolm X, just talking to people about the dangers of the currency exchange, talking to people about why the red line should expand further south, like whatever issues were impacting that area. And so that's kind of, and, and then I started volunteering at Cook County Jail, of course, and that's what got me to Chicago. Yeah, yeah. So this is like, you basically just hit the ground running, like literally. Um you know, it's like you had that yeah. desire to help people that was in similar situations that you were in um, because you knew that it wasn't right. And, you know, you said your dad played Malcolm X so much that you thought Denzel was Malcolm X, you know, um, it's in a sense, it's kind of like you wanted to be Malcolm X because that's what you said, right? You know, you really wanted oh, yeah. to just be out there helping people. It's like you, yeah. you minimize yourself for the greater good of others and maximizing them. That's exactly. what it sounds like. Yeah, that's what yeah, it I, mean, I, I wanted to. I wanted. I wanted to be cool. Like people want to be like Michael Jordan. You know, my mother didn't teach me basketball, but she spent hours teaching me how to do hand gestures and memorize my presentations. Like to this day, I never look at any notes and presentations. The first speech I gave was when I was four years old. I said, "We, the class of 1988, are determined to be our best at whatever we say or do. We'll share a smile and lend a hand to our neighbor because no matter what, we'll be the best in a lifetime." Like those 50 words, that was the entirety of my preschool graduation speech. And my mom made me memorize it. My dad said I wrote it, but I, I gave the hand, she showed me how to do the hand gestures. And that really became a mission statement of my life. So, you know, um, I, I feel like um, I feel like when I graduated college, you know, I came to Chicago and 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 um, and that's when it started dawning on me that the way that I was raised was um, I said, oh, man, you were raised for something bigger than you know, being a rapper. Or, you know, because um, or you, you, the reason why you could present isn't because you're good at rap. It's because you are a great storyteller. You need to use your stories to, to, to as your vulnerable stories will create a bridge to help people. And that's, that's pretty much the trick to what I do. Yeah, yeah. And um, this all sounds like the lead up and the spark to the M3. Um, tell us about M3. When did you start M3? What is the mission of M3 and, you know, the work that is doing in the city of Chicago? Yeah, well, um, my block behind my city is, my, it's, it's basically our mission statement is to take care of people no matter what. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, that's a broad mission statement, but that's what it is. Um, what does that mean? It means that if there's a snowstorm, we're going to show up to help people. If there's a heat wave, we're going to go buy water and go buy fans to give it to seniors, right? If there's a, if, if there's COVID-19, 8,000 seniors reached out to us from, you know, 12 different states. And we're able to, um, we're able to support those, those seniors with connecting the primary healthcare physicians, doing PPE. Um, we're able to help them with whatever they need, right? Just connecting, you know, food, whatever, like there's no grants for that. So we're like the Red Cross for the neighborhoods. We show up and we take care of people no matter what. That's what we do. Um, when it comes to these small businesses that are that need relief, you know, we used our Instagram page to raise, you know, a million dollars in one day. And we distributed that money to over 300 small businesses. Just this week, you know, we announced 200 more thousand dollars we're giving away to in micro grants to businesses that are just trying to stay survive right now and stay afloat. Yeah. Like we we exist, we keep our ear to the streets and we help out, man. Like I want to do job guarantees for black club captains. I want to what I, my block my hood my seat is my way of like saying democracy starts from the block. Ask not what the government can do for you. What can you do for the government? Well, what I can do is is use my curiosity and my energy to figure out what people need, and I can also use my creativity and storytelling ability to raise a lot of money and and do more than expected. Mm -hmm. and so. And since I don't have a battery in my back, I can do whatever I want to do with the money. And so what I do is continue to help people. So in my block, my, my city started just volunteering at the jail. Now, I'm not from Chicago. Again, I got to Chicago and none of the kids in the jail want to hear me speak. Yeah. But my life, my life changed when I got to the jail because, you know, um, just seeing people in shackles, like real shackles is, is the, I mean, that'll make you cry. I mean, you're seeing 15 year old kids in shackles by, and walking in a single file line like they're a slave. And, and they weigh 120 pounds and, and, and they're remorseful, they're funny, they got great personalities. And when you're talking to them, you're like, man, you know, uh, it sucks. And so it just so happened. I used to always ask the kids, like, where are you from? And they'd always be like, man, my block is 21st Street. Well, my hood is the low end. Mm -hmm. And I used to always say, like, why do y'all say my block and my hood, like, with such passion? Like, you're so parochial. Like, what, you don't own anything. Why don't you say my city? And that's when all the kids was like, oh, man, ain't no black people downtown. Mm -hmm. Ain't no black people in Wicker Park. And since I stood downtown and sold books every day, I was like, well, who told you that? And so I knew right away, I mean, God spoke to me. I was like, my job in life is to expose teenagers from the hood to places like downtown. And if I do that, they won't go to jail. It was that yeah. simple. Yeah. And so yeah. I just started showing up in the barbershops and taking kids downtown and exposing them to the top of the Sears Tower, Greek town, the National Hellenic Museum, yeah. Athena Greek restaurant, you know, just, just, I can't take you to China, but I can take you to Chinatown. You know what yeah. I mean? It was easy, bro. And so I just started in the barbershops and that's how I did it. Yeah, yeah. It's like you you basically was giving him field trips outside of the school system. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, it, like it's, yeah. That's what yeah. you was doing. And, and you, yep. you know, it's you, you can't be something that you haven't seen, right? You know, it's like oh, yep. Yep. you can't be something you haven't seen. And so many black youth haven't seen things outside of their block, their hood. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, you mm -hmm. know, all they see is, you know, the the, the um the gays they they see the the drug dealers and that's why most of them want to become that and they become assimilated into that but once you mm -hmm. expose them to say you know hey you can be a fortune 500 ceo look at this black man that's a fortune 500 ceo you know um you can be a physician you can be a lawyer you can be anything you didn't gotta be you know the suit and tie careers the white collar mm -hmm. but you can be anything that expands beyond your block your hood. Mm -hmm. And you took that initiative because you, you know, when you saw them at the jail, you know, it, it sounds like you 
it really resonated with your heart. You know, um, yeah, man. I mean, all my role models were in jail. Like my organization to this day is called Role Model Movement. That's all my role models were in jail now. They're still in jail now. But I called it my block, my hood, my city because, you know, when I was in the jail, everybody kept on talking about they blocking their hood. And, you know, when you're from Chicago, you grew up here, you know, I mean, if you can make it in Chicago, you can make it anywhere. So I just want to be clear to say yeah. that the city of Chicago has failed a lot of kids. I mean, anytime that you have to order your food through bulletproof glass windows every day, like it's regular, that ain't regular, right? Any Anytime where, you know, you, there's 15 currency exchanges in your neighborhood and ain't no banks, that's not regular. Like yeah. anytime, anytime where, you know, you um, walk into Walgreens and all the cough syrup is locked up, and that's that's not regular. Yeah. That, that anytime that you know you uh, you know the biggest billboard in your community says cheap divorces and six thousand dollar tax advances, that's not regular. But you grew up in Chicago, you people don't even notice. They don't even know. Oh, I didn't even notice the bulletproof glass windows, Jamal. I I, I didn't even notice the currency exchange was charging me three percent of my hundred dollar bill, and they got yeah. the bulletproof glass up. Like who's really being robbed? Oh, yeah. I didn't even realize we were spending forty million dollars in my community a year on lottery tickets, Jamal. Uh, are you talking about the good people at the currency exchange? I mean, that's the kind of people. That's how people talk to me. So I realized that if you grow up in Chicago, something's really wrong. It's it's like it's like we've become desensitized to to these societal injustices. Like when you when you when you walk out of Walmart and they check your receipt, like that, nobody even notices that anymore. When when you walk into all these and they ask you. Let me check your debit card to make sure you got a hundred dollars. That's not regular. Mm. But in Chicago, it happens so much that people just, you, you talking about the good people, all these, you know? So I just, I realized that people don't know you. So you, you got to show them better for them to do better. And that's what I do, man. I, 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 I speak truth. <laughs> I, I highlight the injustices and I, I just propose solutions to them as activists. That's pretty much what I do. Yeah, man. Like we hear the passion. We hear the passion in your uh, voice as you're talking about it. And like, I'm enjoying it. Um, what, what year did you start uh, My Block, My Hood, My City? I incorporated in 2016, but 2016. I started it. I mean, I, I moved to Chatham on the South Side in 2007. So, I mean, I was always I was I was always an activist and speaking at the library. It's just nobody was showing up to hear me speak. But I was always doing it, but I didn't I didn't incorporate to 2016. Got you. So basically, you've been doing it since 2007. We're just going to say 2007. Yeah. You know, yeah. yep. you've been yep. doing it for over yep. uh, t- 10 years, you know. Yep. Um, yep. And, and you know, the, the impact that, it's had, that it's, has had on it. So, like, let me tell you how I um, became aware of my block, my hood, my city. And it's, 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 it's crazy because, like, you know how you see something and you've never seen it before, but then you start to see a lot of it. Like, if you start, if you see a car, <laughs> you see yeah. a Jaguar, a green Jaguar, and then now you see a black Jaguar, then you see an orange Jaguar. It's like, damn, where are all these yeah. Jaguars coming from? So that's what yeah. happened. Like, I was, um, I was walking down the street one day, ironically, downtown. It was downtown. Okay. This was, yeah. like, this was before the pandemic. Um, okay. And I just saw somebody that had a hoodie on that said, my block, my hood, my city. I'm like, oh, that's that's nice, you know. Um, and then like some days later, I saw somebody else with the hoodie, and then I saw a hoodie again, like a month later, and they were all different color schemes and all that. I'm like, what the hell is this? My block, my hood, my what is it? you know what I'm saying? So like, I just googled it, and then that's when I came across the website. So I'm like, oh. This is nice, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then, you know, I'm, I'm just looking at the pictures, you know, just the the kids, you know, just out doing community service, and like you said earlier, like at the Sears Tower, the pictures, you know, on the sky deck, you know, um, things like that, and you know, obviously on social media, 
you know, you can see like all of the, the different things that you guys do with the kids. I saw something like y'all took the kids to Michigan, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it was just like, it's refreshing. And, you know, I can speak again, like from someone who, you know, had a very humble beginning as well and background, you know, I didn't get exposed to a lot of things like that, but the, the few bright spots I did have was my cousin, Sonny, may he rest in peace. Um, but my cousin Sonny was one of the first people that, you know, basically was doing what you were doing. You know, he would take me, you know, downtown. You know, I still, to this day, I still have the picture of me and him when we went to the Sears Tower when I was a young, when I was a young kid. You know, he would take nice. me to the Museum of Science and Industry. And now the Museum of Science and Industry isn't that far from my home. But back then, growing up in the South Suburbs, this was a whole nother world. You know, and he would take me to these places. He would take me out to eat. You know, he would show me the Chicago River and, you know, Soldier Field and, you know, Wrigley Field, all these things. And it it might sound like it's nothing now in 2022, but to kids who ain't never seen it, that's the world. That's the world. And and you was and you was showing these kids the world like Chicago. I always say Chicago is a universe. You know, Chicago is is big. What do you mean by that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's bigger than Roseland, you know, it's, it's bigger than Inglewood, it's, it's bigger than, you know, wherever you're from, like, Chicago has so many different moving parts to it, like, so many different neighborhoods are so diverse, you know, it's so much history, so much culture to yeah. it, and right. these kids need to be exposed to it, adults need to be exposed to it, you know? I mean, when I, when I first moved here, I went to all 77 community areas, and I started a blog, that's what my blog, my city was, was me just asking people what's good in their neighborhood, and when teenagers got out of jail, I started showing them how to utilize the camera and the, the video camera, too, and help me do it. And when I started taking kids around, people were just like, oh, I like you like the new Boy Scouts. I was like, what do you mean? Like, the thing is, you got to listen to the universe for things to pop for you. Like, you know, just if you do what you love, you know, you, you organically start building relationships that help you. But I feel like um, um, the point is, man, yeah, you're 100% right. If you show people better, they'll do better. If they don't know better, they can't do better. Exposure is key. Traveling is transformative, and, and you know it just um, it's uh, in Chicago. You can travel the world without leaving Chicago. Well, you know it's a very segregated city. You know the um, you know, but at the same time, um, people think they're so different, but we're really not because you know if you go to you know Pilsen, they're eating tortilla beef and rice, right? You go to Greektown, they're eating you know uh, pita beef and rice. You go to Divine Avenue, they eat non beef. Everybody eating the same thing in the city. You think you're so different. I just think it's it's just crazy. So. Um, I, but I do, I do think that the city is segregated and I think that, the, um, that matters because, um, you know, uh, the racial divisions, they matter because, um, you know, the disparities, it's like, it's like, um, <laughs> there's a lot of inequity in Chicago. So some communities have more resources, some communities don't, and that's not fair. Yeah. And, um, and those, so I, I can talk a lot about racial divisions, but the point is, is that exposing kids to different sides of the city is, 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 is very helpful because it, expands their worldview yeah yeah big time and, and and you're giving them another outlet um that you know the school system isn't giving them you know for whatever the reason is you know we're not going to get into it it's just the fact is it's not giving them um, well they they they, they, they you, uh, i'm gonna get into it that's why i'm running for time yeah, yeah. But i feel like that i feel like they it, it's really it's really just that oppression is real and it's a structural part of our country and its history and it was created intentionally and nowadays people you know, they don't know how injustice is being sustained. So they, that's why they say, you talking about the good people at the currency exchange? Is that they don't know, they don't know. you know, they, it's like when, when you get mad, you don't get mad at the federal government. You get mad at your landlord for the rent too high. You don't, you're not talking about 
you know, why are, what are fair market rent prices in Chicago? You, you're not thinking about that. You're thinking like when, when people that live in, you know, the most under-resourced communities are more conservative than people that live in affluent communities because you'd rather deal with the devil you know every day. You know what you're going to get. You know what you got to get in, in when you're walking down the street. But, you you know, step outside your comfort zone and have your ideas tested is uncomfortable. So it's like when I'm running for Congress, 95% of people don't ever run for federal office. They run for local office. Why is that? Well, well, that's because um, 95% of you people you meet say, man, you should run for alderman. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if you can win Congress. Oh, man, I, who do you think you are? Right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's it's not like Jay-Z uncle when he told him he ain't never going to sell a million records. Jay-Z sold a million records a million times. Oh, are you talking about the good people at the currency? Shit? It's, it's the same kind of idea. And so I think that, um, but the point is, is that when they see me running for Congress and they see me from the block, they're going to be like, man, it's man, Jamal, are my ideas good enough? Oh, I can believe in myself like that unreasonably? Yes, man. And so that's, it's all about just following. Like my People are running for Congress. I'm running for the platform so I can fight for them kids that went to alternative high schools that don't believe in themselves. Them kids that grew up in homeless shelters and was embarrassed to get their food. I'm a victim of gun violence. I was just shot in the arm a couple months ago. The bullet's still in my arm. I go through a metal detector at the airport. They stop me, right? My life experiences will influence what policies I make Congress focus on because I've gone through it. I'm the only candidate in the race that actually can say that. I mean, it's not, I'm not a career politician. Yeah. 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 And yeah, let's talk about that um, a little bit more. So, you know, you're running for the first congressional district of Illinois, um, the seat that Bobby Rush has held for shit damn near my whole life. (laughs) I'm just going to keep it real. Um, You know, and Bobby Rush has said that he's not going to run for reelection. So, that's what you're running for. That's the seat, the first district, uh, first congressional district of Illinois. Um, yeah, so like, I mean, you just said it, like you prefaced it, like, you know, a lot of people decide if they decide to run for offices local or the state, but no one runs for federal. For federal. So you jumped right into it and you said, look, we're going to do this. Like, um, what was the moment when you was like, you know what, I'm going to do this shit? Yeah. Um, the moment was when I was scared to do it. That's when you know you should do it. I mean, the, the moment was when I walked up to Bobby Rush, Congressman Rush, two years ago in Pearl's restaurant and said, hey, man, you know, I always want to run for office. When do I know if I'm ready? He's like, well, you never know you're ready. You just do it. And so you know, I did it. And I, I, I was giving a speech in Beverly in February last year. And when I started speaking, the police officers turned on their sirens to try to drown me out. I said, oh, you know, the interesting. And you, I need a bigger platform because you guys want to drown me out. That's fine. And yeah. then as I was walking, walking through the community, there was a group of organizers that were that asked me, have I ever considered running for Congress? And they approached me. And then I made up my mind the next day. I said, I'm going to do it. And I filed with my own. There's no battery in my back. I filed. I was the first person to announce I was running. And I, I did. I think it's important to know that because 100 people just entered the race when Congressman Rush last week said he wasn't going to go for a, a 16 term. Mm-hmm. And you, you have to. First of all, I also want to say salute to Congressman Rush. He's he, this guy, this man, this, this he's a, a legend, a giant. He, he showed it was possible to fight for things in the federal government and bring it fight to Washington. He he was a Boy Scout. He was an army veteran. He was an alderman. He, 15 terms in office. He was a founding member of the Black Panther Party. A giant. A salute yeah. to him for a life, lifetime of activism. Um, you know, so that's one thing. But the thing is, I was, this the fact of the matter is, I was the first person to announce. I did it when it was inconvenient and uncomfortable. I told him to his face. I 
believe the federal government should be doing more for us on the south side of Chicago. I'm not going to cheater chatter around a lot of issues. I'm not looking for another career move like a lot of these people that uh, it seems it seems that that's what they do. But that's good for them. They all are qualified. They all should do whatever they want to do. Here's the fact. I'm not running against Congressman Rush. I'm not running against all these other qualified individuals. Mm -hmm. I'm not running against I'm running for better schools. I'm running for public safety. I'm running against poverty. I'm running against <laughs> gun violence. I'm running against, I'm not running against these other people. So that's, I just want to just let people know that because I, and, and that's, and I'm glad that I chose to run for the U.S. Congress. Now I, I proved to be right because I, I, now everybody's jumping in the race. But a year ago, these same people that were injured in the race were calling me up saying how proud they were of me and how much they want to support me. Mm. You know, and, and how much they was going to do this, and how, and when you, that type of stuff, man, it just, it just, um, it just goes to show you, man. Um, it just goes to show you that this whole race, when you jump into politics, principalities start coming at you, bro. You got to deal with ego. You got to deal with your own ego. You got to. So many things are going to try to stop you, man. You know, you know how when you know how when you started your podcast, when you started this thing, when you getting close to it, it coming out. You might have a bill hit you out of nowhere, man. I can't get what I need. Or the tribulations yeah. are indicators that you're actually on the right path. Yeah. But people don't, you don't recognize success by what you get. You recognize the success by saying, man, Lord, I've been through this before. Like it's the tribulations. And then politics is so magnified because it's pub public humiliation. It's failure in front of a lot of people. Yeah. And so you have to be able to say, you know what? I'm okay with not knowing. Can, can you say that in front of a million people? Let me ask you right now. If people ask you, hey, do you, because you, you, your, your natural tendency is to want to look smart and look like you know, and look like you know what the hell you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But we, we both know that you can only be smart in a narrow sphere of whatever the hell you do. You know, you're not that smart. Like you, you, you might be smart. They don't know everything. That. Exactly. But can you say that in front of people? That's, that's the, that's the, that's the, and that's the demons becoming at you. Can, can, are you going to look smart in front of these lawyers or are you going to tell people, you know what? Hey man, my only skill in life is to have enough energy. I'm curious to go to these communities and ask people, how can I help? Can you, if you can't, that's, that's where I, that's where I'm going to shine. I'm going to shine in that. I, I, cause I can do that. I can stand yeah. downtown with nothing and make something. I know I can. So. Yeah. Yeah. And let's talk about that. So uh, real quick, let's educate the listeners on, what does the first district encompass in Illinois? Like what areas is that? So people can understand, um, you know, so they can make a map yeah. in their mind. Gotcha. Well, the maps just changed recently. So, I mean, if you live in Hyde Park, for instance, and you're on 53rd Street, if you go to Phil's Coffee on the south side of 53rd, yeah, that's the second district. But it, I mean, see, that's the first district. But if you go to Dunkin' Donuts across the street, that's the second district. So it's really kind of, you know, it's, it's the best way I can explain it is from Bronzeville all the way to Manhattan. So it's Bronzeville, you know, um, Hyde Park, Chatham, parts of Woodlawn, um, parts of Inglewood, parts of Roseland, parts of Beverly, parts of New Lenox, or parts of um, Blue Island, parts of New Lenox. But we're going of, west. Uh, we're going southwest. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. New Lenox, Manhattan, Tinley Park. We're talking about all the way southwest. Yes. It. And it's, it stops at about Manhattan. So or in Mokina, you can't forget that, you know, um, those, those places, uh, Orland Park, that's that's the first district. Calumet City, that's the first district. So, OK, got it. And, you know, so obviously, you know, you've been speaking, you've been out in the streets, the trenches, as the youngins say these days, you've been out there mm -hmm. for years. Um, what are some of the most common things that the citizens of the first district are telling you that they want or that they need? Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it's all about, you know, people in Tinley Park and people in New Lanks. We got it out here. We cool. We just can't, we scared to jump on the highway because y'all, you need to fix the violence. That's the number one issue is like gun violence. Um, and then, you know, people care about the environment. People care about Medicare, healthcare, uh, counselors in schools, you know, one counselor per 500 kids. That's not right. But the number one issue is gun violence. And so how I'm going to um, address that is just, we have to talk about this nebulous term called gun violence. What does that actually mean? Now, I just told you I was shot recently. Yeah. I got shot. And then I was shot at again a month later in broad day with a machine gun. So I, I know wow. about this all too well. Yeah, I knew about the other incident, but yeah. wow. Yeah. Wow. yeah, bro. I got exactly broad daylight in High Park on 53rd and Harper, right in front of Virtue. This happened. This happened to me. They shot out the hurl. Kilwin's ice cream shop and the motel across the street. That happened to me in broad day. Um, mm -hmm. But the point is, is that, um, and this was a month after I was shot. Yeah. That I got shot at. So I'm still dealing with the PTSD. The point is, is that what does gun violence mean? Okay. And, and by the way, the guy that killed the people in Hyde Park, the kid, he did it for a hundred dollars. He cashed it. He cashed a cell phone and he stole for a hundred bucks. Why couldn't we have given that guy a hundred dollars? Like he probably needed it the next day. But the point is he killed the high, he killed the U Chicago student for a hundred dollars, man. That's how, so that, that has to sting a little bit. There's, here I'll get to the point. Gun violence is not a, um, it, it, the way poverty and segregation contribute to gun violence is poorly understood. So gun violence shouldn't be a reality. It's a reflection of a few things. Um, but before I get to what it is, let me give you a metaphor. If a plane goes down today, you're gonna say, dang man, why'd the plane go down? Oh, let's look at the black box. Okay, it was an electric issue or engine failure. Something happened. We know why it went down, understand. When gun violence happens in Chicago, no one says why does it happen. They say, oh, them black people crazy. Them kids, they don't know what, they do too much hip hop music. They don't. Let's call it gun violence. That doesn't make sense, bro. Something happened. Let me tell you what happened. Five things I've identified. Okay. Racial and, racial and economic injustice, high incarceration rates, high unemployment rates, poor neighborhoods, and under-resourced schools. When you have those five conditions, that's the perfect storm for so-called gun violence. So the question shouldn't be, why is there so much gun violence? The question is, why isn't there more? Because if there's those five conditions I just talked about, that's perfect. That's an F5 storm for what we're talking about. It's called gun violence. So what can you do about it from a federal government perspective? I, I can show you what I'm doing about it from a nonprofit perspective. We, it works. My nonprofit organization is one of the most impactful in the country. We yeah. work with 150 students a month. I've sent, we've sent up thousands of kids to college. So I know what works from a nonprofit level. I'm not changing that at all. I'm running for federal office to be a partner in government for nonprofits. So I'm not saying the government knows what to do. I'm just trying to slash the red tape for the nonprofits that are putting their own money up to start programs. You mm -hmm. might not be going downtown to be a hustler like me to make the money. So you might not use Instagram like me. I'm, we want to identify the Diane Latikers and Roselands, the Asia Butlers in Inglewood, the Fatals in Inglewood, the Will Callaways in South Shore. We want to uplift the work that they're doing. I'm an activist. I'm a partner in government for my friends. But let me, let me tell you um, what you can do from the federal level. We need reparations when you talk about racial and economic injustice. Why can't, why can't we have reparations? When you talk about high incarceration rates in Finland, did you know the maximum life sentence is 10 years? And how can we reimagine what justice looks like in a country? When you talk about unemployment, can we have federal job guarantees? What if the federal government paid you to do this podcast? What if the federal government could offer you $25 an hour in benefits to do something valuable for Hyde Park or Inglewood or Roseland? What does your neighborhood need? And what, do you, what would you do that would give you dignity in doing it? Right. Yeah. And so that's the kind of stuff that I'm running for, man. It's just a, a stories over policies, man. I'm going to make the federal government care about what's going on on the South side, bro.
Yeah, um, I mean, all of that sounds thorough, you know, um, and I know that's a very brief summarized version that you just gave us, but, you know, all of that sounds super thorough, and is is I saw someone say this on social media um, a couple weeks ago, and they said that basically politics is, isn't hard, it should be simple, right? It's like, as a resident, I tell you what I need, as a, as a constituent, that is, I tell you what I need, and if you represent where I live, you fight for what I need. And then, you know, you keep doing it. Um, but politics have failed the Black community for so many years. And we can't even just say it's just white politicians because Black ones have done it too, big time, right? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it's been happening for so long that specifically us Black people, we have lost trust in the political system, right? We lost trust on the local level. We lost trust on the state level. Been lost trust on the federal level. So as a Black man from the block, the hood, that's representing the block, the hood, and the city, how do you repair that trust, right? Okay, like, obviously, yeah, you do what you say you're going to do, but, like, how do you even begin to repair that trust for people who are, like, right now, like, oh, yeah, I'm skeptical, whatever, you know? Like, how do you even try to rectify that? Because that's another principality. That's another barrier, right? I'm not running for mm -hmm. office, so I can't imagine how to navigate that, but, like, can you speak on that? Mm -hmm. I think um, it's acknowledging that what you're saying is true and acknowledging that you don't have all the answers i mean i think that's the first is like you don't go into a school and say hey i'm going to help all the students i know exactly what to do i know how no you go to the principal and say how can i help i don't I, you know what do you guys point me to the lunchroom i'll mm -hmm. just go talk to the kids and i want to i want to learn and listen so i think the first thing is like acknowledging that, that pain and that distrust is real and and i feel the same way mm -hmm. i feel the same way as you and so i think once you get to that level of listening to people and then then show up again, like you, you got to show up before you need something. And, you know, that's how you build trust. You don't just show up to somebody party when you would have favor to ask. You don't just show up to a nonprofit gala because you want to work with that nonprofit. You show up and build a relationship. And then then when something happens, now you have a relationship. It's the same thing. I think the if, if you're running for U.S. Congress and you're out there trying to build trust, you're never going to win because you should already had that. Your track record, should people should already know and trust. If they don't know and trust you at this point, it's too you, you you hustling backwards and so i i don't see what i'm don't see what i'm doing is actually uh i'm when i show it to people they know that i'm going to pitch a tent in washington dc if we don't get what they want they know that i speak hoodie language already i'm going to do the same thing when i'm in dc they know i'm an activist and a fighter they know that my story because i'm going to hold congress accountable for caring about homelessness and caring about alternative high schools and nonprofits and gun violence because i'm a victim of those things uh, they this is already this, that, I have high name recognition already. So that's not, I, but the, to answer your question though, bro, like there's so much that I don't know. But I, one thing I've learned from being an activist is that people know what they need. And I just need to pretty much just use my brain to connect them to what they need. And mm -hmm. so I'm, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to you, listen as much as I can and figure out what can I learn from this conversation we had tonight. Same thing I do with, with kitchen table discussions, that same thing. So. Yeah, yeah. And you know, um, like we had said earlier in the podcast, you basically started doing the work for M3, My Block, My Hood, My City in 2007, right? You ain't incorporated since mm -hmm. 2016, but you've been doing it since mm -hmm. 2007. So that's 15 years of yeah. consistent track work of you actually yeah. doing and providing for people, you know? 
So I think that right there, like I asked you the question because I wanted to ask the question, but you know, the answer is, in my opinion, that right there is already how you can repair that trust. Like, look, I've been doing it. <laughs> like I've been exactly. doing it. I just haven't been a politician, but I've been doing so, it. You know? And I always knew I was gonna do what I'm doing now. Like this is this has always been the plan. Like this has always been a part of it. It's just I just didn't vocalize it. I just didn't tell I always knew that I, this is what I was gonna do. Like yeah. I didn't know I didn't know what office is gonna be. I always thought I'd run for mayor first. But when I recognized that Harold Washington ran for Congress, then I recognized that Rahm Emanuel ran for Congress first and they won and they built national connections. I'm like, oh, I'm, that's the role that I think I'm gonna take too. And but it was really like just it really even I I learned that after the fact. Like it never was about what office I was gonna do. It was more about what the people wanted me to do. And the people asked me to run for Congress first. And that's that's when I was like, oh, Harold Washington was Congress. Oh, Ron Emanuel was in Congress. Interesting. So I mean, I, I'm bro. Win, lose, or draw. My goal is to take us. Well, we're gonna win. But the point when it's not maybe I'm winning in a different realm. I don't know what God has for me. But yeah. I'm gonna stand with integrity for what I believe in. And I was homeless growing up. But now my 11-year-old daughter gets to see me doing what I'm doing. Now I'm winning, bro. I'm already winning. This is yeah. not even like a, like, I, I can go to Africa tomorrow and in Longa Township and start an explorers program. I'm winning. Like, who's going to be losing is the first district if I'm not in office because we've been losing for a long time now. Yeah. The, the south side of Chicago, we, we're losing when it comes to resources for our schools. We're losing when it comes to police just doing whatever they want to do and not being held accountable to the actions we're losing when it comes to kids not dreaming bigger than their surroundings we're losing in so many ways so hey you know people can vote for who they want to vote for but we know just 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 look at when we get on stage and start debating and stuff like that just 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 ask yourself who, who on this stage it who on this stage do do i um do I believe has a has a track record, not just telling me has a track record of showing up for me. And then, then that that's that's what I want people to look at. Who shows up? And then, then, then Google that. And then you'll see me with a shovel. That, that's yeah. what you'll see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I said this before, and I'm gonna say it again, it's just the passion. You know, the passion is just oozing through the speakers. Um, and you can tell it's authentic. You can tell it's authentic. Um, but again, you know, you look at my block, my hood, my city, city, you go on the Instagram page is over 90,000 followers. And, you know, it is, it is contagious, right? I, I talk about how energy is contagious. And, you know, when you actually are doing something for someone and it's not transactional, you know, people tend to buy in more, right? And, you know, with the organization that you have done and like all the great things you did on the south side west side just the entire city of chicago and you know how it has spread across the country you know that's that's no coincidence and you said it's whatever god has in, in store for you you're a man of faith you know um do you believe like all of this was like divine like you said your father ran for alderman when you were a child he didn't win but nonetheless he ran and so you that was like kind of like your introduction to you know politics you know in a sense that was your introduction um, do you think this is like kind of like a full circle divine moment that, you know, here you are now in 2022 running for federal office um, versus that young Jamal that witnessed his father, you know, was out there trying to sign petitions. Mm -hmm. Do you think this is like a divine full circle moment or like, how do you think your faith plays yeah. into all of this? Well, I mean, all my heroes were killed. I mean, so like, you know, when I think about Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy and these type of people that's the path that I'm that that was the path that I wanted to go and the things that have happened to me 
just losing my home, being shot. I mean, my home went in foreclosure trying to start my black in my city. You know, I went through a divorce. I made a lot of, I mean, if I could do it over again, bro, there's a lot of things I would do differently. There's a lot, to get to where I'm at was a lot of pain. Um, but the thing is, I'm trying to say is like, um, divine, yeah, bro. The, the only thing that I can tell you is that at those moments where the tribulation starts happening, the best thing to do is just have faith. It's hard to say it. It's hard to, it's hard to believe that because people, because because there's so many spirits out here worry. Do you know that there's a spirit of worry that yeah. be in your room knocking on your door? You'd be like, I'm worried. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm worried what people gonna think about me. I'm worried am I gonna be good enough? Do you know that? Do you know that people ain't bro? The best way to do it is that I'm just gonna have faith. Did I did I do more than expected today? Meaning, did I did I wake up early and work out? Did I did I did I read today? Did I did I um, make a conscious effort if, to do more than if people expect and not do it for just, the question isn't how much money I'm making, is what am I becoming? Mm. Like, what do you, did you read, did you read 10 pages today? If you didn't read 10 pages today, what are we talking about, man? If, because you can't even, if you, you can save five years by reading a book. So if you didn't read about how to start a podcast or you didn't read about how to start your nail business or you didn't read about what you, you you're not serious. And, and you have a timid approach to life. Mm. that's how that's what you're doing so no man this this is what you did and so i just i feel like um i feel like um yeah man i I feel like god has his hands on it that's why that's why i can actually and i'm I'm so flawed i'm getting better every day man but i've learned that i just have to stay humble and let god do what he's gonna do and try not to be um try not to um just let his will be done keep on praying every day and keep on um um, and helping people as best as I can. And, and you know, if I do want to win, cause I want to, I want to, I actually want to dedicate my life to helping as many people as possible. And, and, um, on the South side of Chicago and, and I am, I'm excited to, I'm, I'm present. I'm so excited for the moment, but, um, that's, that's, yeah, I, I know it's God, man. If he, it's let his will be done. So. Let his will be done. I mean, that's, that's it. That's it right there. Um, that's yeah. I mean, yeah. Ain't really, nothing else to say after that, bro. Like, that's that's yeah. powerful though. Like, real talk. Um, you know, you. I, I definitely, you know, like I said, uh, I don't know if I said it on the recording or before the recording, but you know, I've been following your work for some time, and you know, it's definitely um, a blessing to see uh, black men like you. This is no shade to our black women because we know what our black women are capable of and what our black women are doing every day. Um, but, you know, to see a black man like yourself, just get right into it, just go into the trenches, go into the streets and just start, you know, just showing black youth more um, than their block and their hood. That's that's commendable. And we Thank need more you. of it. Thank you. More of it. Um, definitely on the south side and the west side, because, you know, that there is no hope. There is no faith. Right. That's that's why um, that perfect storm continues to grow you know the the gun violence the um the crime the 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 anger mm. you know again the first time you had lasagna was when you committed the crime right that's why mm-hmm. it happens because mm-hmm. the faith and the hope mm. is there but when more of us have faith and when more of us have hope that energy is contagious and now the perfect storm starts to dissipate and that fire starts to spread of you know faith, that fire of hope, you know, um, it starts to spread and it catches on, you know, um, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing to witness. And, you know, I know that 
the Thank listeners you. and the viewers are going to be blessed by this uh, message. Um, I know people are constantly blessed by you whenever you speak around the city of Chicago, and they're going to be blessed as you continue to grow um, in all of your endeavors. Um, so my last question, my final question for you, and I feel like, you know, you definitely have said it inadvertently, but I want to ask directly, what is the central motivation for everything that you do? If you had to nail it down to one thing or one experience or one emotion, what is the central motivation for my block, my hood, my city? What is the central motivation for running for Congress? What is the central motivation for simply just being you? Um, the role model for your 11-year-old daughter, you know, what, what is it? Service. Hmm. Uh, I, I think that uh, that's what I'm good at. <laughs> I'm good at helping people. Yeah. Like I'm, I, that's some people got a crossover. Some people got can jump out the gym. Some people catch a football. Um, I'm good at helping, and so in service, and and I like being around good stuff, and so I like using my ideas to help, and so when I'm in that vein. I can't lose. I mean, I met Russell Simmons one time and I was like, man, I need a million dollars to start my program. Can you give me a million dollars? This is 10 years ago. I was so mad he didn't give me a million dollars. He's like, you don't need no money. I was like, why? He's eating his pizza. He's like, you don't need money. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you're going to be successful, really successful. I was like, what, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, your, your, your goal is to help people. You can't even lose. I, was, I walked away so frustrated. I had a whole business plan in my pocket. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this dude, but he was right. Now my organization is, you know, we have 25 members that work with us. We, we're, we're giving out millions of dollars a year. He was right. I couldn't see it 10 years ago, but he was right. Hey, you know what this, uh, you know what that just made me think of? It's like the whole dinner with Jay-Z or, you know, a um, million dollars meme that's been floating around social media and like have people say, oh, I'll take the dinner with Jay-Z because he going to put me on game, blah, blah, blah. That's literally just what popped oh. in my head just now. Oh, that's good for you. That literally just popped in my head. Like, like yeah. you had the option of taking a dinner with Russell Simmons or a million dollars, and if you would have took the dinner with Russell Simmons, you would have been very, very pissed off. Because <laughs> he, he yeah. definitely, yeah. He, yeah, that's all he's gonna he tell gave, you. Good point. He gave me a million dollars on the game. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it for that angle, but he, he had seen it from the mountaintop. Like, bro, the million dollars isn't the. What are you becoming in life? That's what you need to be thinking about right now. And I didn't, I didn't understand it then. But if I could talk to him again, uh, um, you know, that I, I, I would hug him and say thank you, man, for not giving me the money. Yeah. If you enjoyed this podcast, I ask for two things. Number one, leave a five-star review. And number two, pass it on to a friend who may enjoy it as well. And don't forget to subscribe to our other podcast, Mogul Motivation from True Stories Media.